Hey everyone, welcome to this episode of the Motherkind Podcast. It is me, your host, Zoe Blasky. This is the show that's going to help you navigate the massive challenges of life as a modern mother with more self-awareness, with more self-compassion, with more joy and confidence. This week's guest, I cannot wait for you to hear. Lisa Oliveira. I discovered her on Instagram years ago and her words and story have always spoken to me. Her story is incredible. I cannot wait for you to hear it. Lisa is an author, a therapist. She's a mum to a little boy and I couldn't wait to speak to her about her matrescence, about what motherhood has been like for her, especially given her own start in life. This episode is one that I think is going to speak to your heart. Lisa speaks in an incredibly gentle way and we cover a lot. But this episode is really about messiness and how life is messy, motherhood is messy, and we're all just muddling through the best we can with what we've got. So Lisa and I talk about asking for help and how to stop trying to control everything, how not to listen to your thoughts, especially those really fearful, worry ones how to accept things that are really hard and actually you hate and you want to be different and actually how accepting those things counterintuitively is the first step to changing them. We talk about communication, especially with your partner or co-parent or other people involved in helping you raise your children. And of course, Lisa shares her gift. I hope you love this episode. Please do remember to share it. It makes such a big difference. Leave us a review on iTunes or Spotify or wherever you are listening to this. Here it is. Oh, well, Lisa, it's so nice to be here with you tonight. We were originally meant to do this a couple of weeks ago, but your whole household got taken down, didn't it, with COVID. I think that's just such a common experience. Like almost everyone that I'm speaking to at the moment, the whole family are being taken down with either COVID or sickness bugs or children go to nursery for a few days or childcare for a few days and then they're back for a week ill. And I'm wondering, what tools did you grab from your very vast therapeutic toolkit when curveballs like that happen? I think the first one is acceptance because it is not what I wanted to happen and I had to cancel many things and put many things to the side in order to tend to myself and my family. And I think when things like that happen, we can resist it. We can fight it. We can be frustrated by it, but in order to actually allow ourselves to rest and tend to what needs tending, we have to accept what's happening and then explore, okay, now that this is happening, now what? Now that these are the circumstances I'm in, what do I need to do from this place? What do I have the capacity for from this place? Which will look different based on what those circumstances are. And so for me, it was a lot of accepting that we were all sick, accepting that I had to say no to things I had committed to and asking myself what I needed moment to moment, day to day during that time so that I could show up for myself and my family in the ways that I was able to, while also noticing where my expectations were too high where I was asking too much of myself out of trying to do it all or trying to be perfect or trying to move through it quicker. And 
just letting myself be human, which sometimes means dropping balls, which sometimes means not being able to do the things we may normally want to do, but allowing that to be okay without being so hard on myself and without that inner critic ramping up, I think allows us to actually take care of the things that we can take care of while honoring what cannot be taken care of given whatever we may be moving through, whether it's sickness or something else. But I think the capacity to tune in and ask what's happening and what do I have the capacity for and what do I need to let go of in order to make room for what I can make room for and how can I be gentle with myself along the way is really hard to do when often we have high expectations of ourselves, but it's really important to remember that we are only human and we are fallible to getting sick, to accidents happening, to unforeseen circumstances arising and meeting those things be messy sometimes too. Like my house was a disaster for two weeks and part of me was like, oh, I should be tidying and tending to all of this while I'm trying to get better. Another part of me knew like, that's just one of the things that I have to drop right now. That's one of the balls that needs to be let go of so that I can do what actually matters here, which is rest and take care of my child and do the things I need to do to become healthy again. So I think there's something powerful about meeting ourselves where we're at and letting it be okay when that's different than the expectations we might have of ourselves. So true. I find it really hard. Interestingly, I'm okay when I'm ill. It's when I think one of my kids is getting ill and I've got loads of work stuff I want to do. And, you know, the nature of my job, it takes ages to get something sorted and booked in. And it's so interesting. Like one of them, I'll be like, oh no, they're getting ill. And the resistance is really loud. Like, oh no. I just forget in that moment what my real priorities are because my business is also a priority. My life is also a priority. And it's, I feel like illness is one of those real moments where the prioritizing needs just comes to an absolute pinpoint focus, isn't it? Because like I've got a need where I feel good. I want to work today. I've got stuff booked in. I've got clients I don't want to let down. But in this moment, I'm going to have to make that really hard choice, which is to put all of that down to sit with a sick child. I don't find it easy. I really don't. <laughs> no, it's so hard. You know, I think in so many ways, especially as mothers, we are sort of conditioned to believe that everything is in our control if we just try hard enough. And if we just keep everything in line enough, then we'll be able to control how it all goes. And a child being sick is one of those instances that really shows us actually parenting and being a person and taking care of a child takes much more surrender than it takes control. And it takes much more being willing to let go of how we think things should be than it takes us constantly trying to effort and force and control our way to make things how we assume they should go in order for us to be okay. So it's extremely hard to be willing to let go of that in those moments where we're asked to. It's really interesting, you know, because as you were just talking, I was remembering that there was a time a couple of years ago when I felt really grounded and spiritually connected. I was doing a lot of meditation. I was just doing a lot of stuff that I really was trusting in the flow of life really well. <laughs> you know, times when you're like, I'm really in the stream of this. And Jesse, my oldest, kept getting ill. And I remember thinking about it now how easy I did find it to surrender into that. And I remember thinking, it's cool. I get an extra day with her. Like that is such a gift. That was my headspace. 
now <laughs> I need to check this with my own practice because now I'm like, <gasps> that can't happen. It's interesting, isn't it? Same scenario, but contingent on how I'm feeling, I have completely different responses. Yeah. I felt that too. Like I would say the first nine months to a year of postpartum, it's almost like there was more wiggle room to not have it all together. Like it was more expected to struggle a little bit, to have things be off kilter a little bit, to not have it all figured out. But I don't know. I feel like there's this place where once you get to a certain point in motherhood in particular, it's like, then you're expected to okay, now you should have it all together. Like it's been long enough to where things have been messy. Now things should start to come together a bit more. And I know that I felt that within myself too, this shift of when it's okay to accept the messiness of things. And then when the expectation shifts and what outside of me is actually causing that change. It's so interesting. And I'm really interested because I followed you for a long time before you became a mother. And you always struck me as someone who had done an awful lot of self-awareness, of spiritual thinking, philosophical thinking. Like I really got that depth from you. And so I'm so curious what motherhood has taught you or shown you or revealed to you on top of that amazing, already really strong foundation that you had of knowing yourself. The first thing that comes to mind is just how confronted you are when you become a mother with both all of the work that you've done within yourself and how that can bolster you in this new gargantuan task of tending to another person. And also how the work that we do does not end and things will continue coming up in our life that requires us to do that work in new ways that may bring up old stuff in ways that we've processed before, but not in this particular context that may allow us to see ourselves in a new perspective that asks us to do a different kind of work or to dive deeper or to go back to something we thought we were quote finished with that actually is a cycle and that may come up throughout our life in different seasons. So I think one of the biggest things that it has reiterated for me is that there is no finish line. There is no other side to get to. There is no after in a before and after story of our life. We are who we are and where we are right now. And no matter how much work we've done, life is going to continue to give us new opportunities to explore ourselves and to heal and to grow and to change. And Doing that while watching another person become themselves is such a wild experience and I think brings up what healing actually is in a whole new way. And it's an opportunity to also notice all the things that we have done that allow us to show up in the way that we want to in parenthood. And I think that's something that can easily get pushed aside when we tend to focus on what's wrong or where we're lacking or what we wish we were doing better or what's still an open wound. We forget to look at all the ways that the work that we've done actually allows us to show up in ways that feel aligned and true and meaningful and nourishing in ways that maybe we didn't receive, but are now able to offer to our children, which is such a gift. Again, I think, yeah, just the reminder that to be human is to be a cyclical being, which means 
we don't have to ever get to a place where we have it all figured out and where we don't ever need to work our own work over and over again. And I think that's something I try to share often is there is no place that you need to get to. Like, how can you meet yourself right where you are, as you are, even when it's messy and uncertain and even in the moments you're not showing up in the way you want to, how can you approach that from a place of openness and curiosity and from a lens that allows you to move in the way that feels most true and yeah, just most real for you based on the place that you find yourself, wherever that may be, which will change over time over and over again. You said motherhood's shown you what healing actually is. What is that? How do you define that today? I think for a long time, I thought of healing as something that we do that has a tangible outcome. And in some ways, I suppose that's true. But I think I've more so found healing to be the capacity to be present with what is. And sometimes that looks like being with the grief of giving your child something that you didn't receive when you were a child and allowing yourself to feel that. Sometimes it may be the willingness to name what is true for you and to be honest about what's still hard for you, to be honest about what wounds may never fully close, to be honest about the parts of motherhood or being a person or being alive that may never actually feel completely finished or done. But healing is learning how to meet yourself in those places with compassion and awareness and openness and kindness, regardless of what those places actually look like. And I think that's what the difference has been for me is I thought healing meant everything would look better when actually healing for me means learning how to be myself and meet myself, even when things aren't better, because things will continue coming up. Things will continue happening that break this idea that there is some other side that we're supposed to get to some place to arrive at. And I think motherhood is a constant practice of being present to what is, which is so often not in our control and not something that we can manipulate to form and fit what we think healing should look like. And so I think that's something that's been really reiterated as I've become a mother and as I've found myself in this role and found myself in this place of constant change and constant growth in ways that I can't always anticipate. What was it like for you in the early sort of fourth trimester period? Because, you know, your own story was that was a really I can't remember if you used the word traumatic, challenging time. What was that like? Was that quite confronting? Maybe tell the story for people that don't know you or haven't read the book yet. So I was abandoned by my birth mother when I was just a couple hours old and found in a field right outside of Muir Woods in California. And I was later adopted and I grew up not knowing where I came from and not knowing who my birth mother was or why that happened it led to such a deep sense of not belonging and a deep longing to know where I had come from. And also just a deep sense of feeling like I wasn't enough and feeling like I was broken and like something was wrong with me. And I've done so much healing work around that and have gotten to a place where I've been able to integrate all of those stories and all of those things that have happened. But when I had my daughter, it really reopened a lot of that grief and reopened the reality that that grief is going to be something that I 
interact with and tend to and relate to for a lifetime. And it's not something that I need to make go away either. And just the experience of singing to her while she was in my belly and knowing that she was hearing me of feeling myself literally growing her from my body and having her come from my body, from myself and feeling that instant connection that's undeniable and that we are biologically wired to need really brought up the depth of loss that I experienced in not having that. And I think brought up, which is sort of why I mentioned that some of our healing will never be done. It brought up another layer of healing that I'm only able to do because I'm now in this role that I wouldn't have accessed if I hadn't had my own child. So it's kind of like we get confronted with new opportunities to deepen the healing that we've done when new experiences come up in our lives. This particular one being becoming a mother when I have my own wounds around what that means and how that unfolds. So I think there's been an even deeper acceptance of how okay it is that that wound is still there and that that doesn't mean something's wrong with me or that I haven't done the work or that I haven't tried hard enough or that I'm not evolved enough, but actually it means that I'm willing to let myself be human, which is to let myself be open to the things that may need tending to for a lifetime. And the willingness to do that means a lot more to me than never having to do it again, because it means I'm willing to be honest about what my experience is and let it be okay, rather than feel like it's something I need to bypass or be ashamed of or hide in order to appear, quote, healed. It's helped me rearrange some of that pressure and let go of some of those expectations of what it means to be a healed person and allow myself to be a person who's in an ongoing process of healing and growth and also just living, which includes not always having to do those things 24-7. Yeah, it's so beautiful that the idea of healing is just really being open to feel whatever is with us. That's it. Imagine if that was it. I actually got goosebumps when you were telling that story. I'll tell you why in a moment, but I noticed this in my own experience and I noticed it in thousands of mothers that have spoken to me over the years, that those early years of motherhood really do bring up a lot in us and stir up a lot in us. I think it's so cruel in a way that that is also the time when we have the least resources, we're sleep deprived, we're exhausted, we're trying to figure out this matrescence thing and who the hell am I now? And now all this old grief from when I was, you know, wiring, growing, trying to attach to whoever was around, that's all coming up. And I was wondering, how did you hold space for that? And maybe more with your therapist hat on, what advice do you have for people who are in that place, but can't quite access the space or even the headspace to get to it? I think something that's so important to remember is that sometimes our needs are bigger than our capacity and we may not always have the capacity to tend to all the needs that we have in any given circumstance. Early postpartum definitely being one of them. Anyone who's a parent has way more needs than they're able to actually meet during those times because of the urgency of keeping this tiny human alive and doing the very basic things that often require all the energy that we have. So I think one thing is shifting our expectations and 
allowing ourselves to accept that we may not be able to get to everything in the time frame we think we're supposed to, which includes grieving, which includes feeling our feelings, which includes doing the work that we need to do in order to move through whatever comes up for us in those moments. Some of those things may have to come at a later time. And I think we need to allow ourselves the grace to know that we can honor what's there while not having urgency to make it all go away at once, if that makes sense. I think that's something I had to do with the grief that was coming up is like, wow, there's a lot here. I can't tend to all of this right now. I'm going to hold that this is here and allow myself to move through it slowly over time and remind myself that I don't need to get to all of this at once. And one of the things that I think allows us to do that is asking for support and help and utilizing all the resources that we have available to us, whether it's having people bring us food, sharing with friends what is actually coming up for us and not just sharing the positive things that everyone wants to hear about new parenthood, utilizing our care team, utilizing therapy, utilizing our partners and neighbors and whoever we have in our lives that can support us in not doing alone what we can take off of our plate so that we have as much capacity as we can muster to hold all of those things. I think so much is expected of mothers, especially at the beginning. And there's something powerful about choosing to not do it all perfectly, choosing to rely on other people, choosing to say no, choosing to only allow visitors who bring meals, like these little decisions we can make to bolster our support in very tangible ways. Like one tangible thing I did is that we used only paper plates and paper cups for the first month so that we didn't have dishes. These little things that we can use to resource ourselves in ways that allow as much space as we can have to tend to what needs tending to, while also removing the pressure to get to all of it in the ways that we may normally get to things in our lives, including healing and feeling our feelings and being with our emotion, including all of that. I think there's something to just accepting that it's going to look messy and hard in a lot of ways for an amount of time. And we can set ourselves up perfectly and that won't necessarily eliminate that it's just going to be hard. And I think that's something I wish someone had told me was there's no amount of preparation or work that you can do to make it not hard. Like it's just going to be hard. And accepting that was probably the biggest gift that I gave to myself during that time. Accepting that there's no efforting that I can do right now to eliminate the hardness of this. And can I just let that be what it is and trust that it's going to change? Trust that it's going to shift. Trust that my capacity is going to shift and change. And my resources are going to shift and change. Yeah, those are the things that initially come to mind. But I think the most important piece is being willing to not do it alone and being willing to receive in all the ways that are available to you during that time so that you can eliminate whatever can be eliminated and just be with what really matters. Those were two big lessons for me as well. The receiving thing, I think, is a skill to learn how to ask for help and receive help. And I know pre-motherhood, that was a skill I did not have. I was really good at getting on with stuff independently on my own. <laughs> and the second one was you cannot effort your way out of being this being hard. 
And I think that again, because pre-motherhood, that's not necessarily true. I can work till 1am and get that project out the door. I can push myself all week knowing that I can sleep all weekend. I can do things because my time was my own, essentially. I was very privileged. My time was my own pre-motherhood. And that is where I think there's just this huge shift, isn't it? That actually you cannot effort, work hard your way through motherhood. It just doesn't work like that. And that is such a hard lesson for me. It really was a hard lesson. Because <laughs> I was used to like do A, get B. That equation breaks in parenthood. Yeah. Things become so much more blurry and so much less linear, especially in the early stages. It's like, yeah, the tools and some of the things that you may have been used to using before just don't work in that place. And I think there has to be a willingness to be open to letting that be okay. And also being open to kind of like what I said before, like, okay, this is the circumstance I find myself in. Now what? Knowing that this is where I am, what do I need? Knowing that this is how much capacity I have, what needs can I actually tend to? And what do I need to put aside for now? Knowing that there's this pile of things that I've had to put aside, what can I rely on other people to tend to? Who else can I call in to help me with this? Who else can I call in to support me with this? Who else can I call in to take this on so that I don't have to? And like you said, I think that is such a skill that so many of us did not really utilize before we had no other choice but to utilize it. So I think also just normalizing that it might feel clunky and hard and uncomfortable and awkward to receive help and to receive care and to even admit to ourselves that we cannot do it all. And that maybe that's not a failure of us, but a failure of these systems that we live in that do not support mothers in the ways that we need, especially in those early times. So I think also removing the blame and shame and guilt of not being the perfect mother that we think we're supposed to be and allowing ourselves to, yeah, not hold it all together and let other people be of support to us and not letting that mean that we're weak or incapable, but actually that we're really resourceful and smart and able to utilize the resources that we have, which is a skill that requires ongoing practice, I've found. Me too. And how did you, because you obviously had a book coming out <laughs> during this period, how did you manage that? I said no to so many things. I did not take on nearly as much as I would have if the book had come out a year earlier or a year later. It came out when I was three months postpartum. And yeah, I just didn't do a lot. You know, it wasn't planned that way. Schedule-wise, like I didn't plan to have the baby right when the book was coming out. That's just sort of how it happened. And I had to be okay with telling my publisher, I actually don't have capacity to do seven podcast interviews this week. I can only do two. Which ones feel most aligned for me? And I'm going to do those two. I can't actually do 50 Instagram lives the month that my book comes out. I can do five which ones feel the most aligned and nourishing and connecting for me. I can't do live events because I have a newborn. So can I be okay with accepting a different outcome than may have been available if I had more capacity and more time 
and more energy and more resources. So I think a lot of it was knowing what my capacity was and being willing to only do that and grieving what would have been different if I had more capacity, like being honest about the potential losses and consequences that are natural for being where I am in the phase of life that I'm in. But again, like not looking at any of that as a failure, but as the natural results of where I am in my life, I actually found it really nourishing to have like a smaller book launch and to not do all of the things and to not have the big party and have to go on a tour. Like it actually felt really aligned energetically for me and where I was. And so, yeah, there was also something kind of special about having it be a more quiet and subtle experience that it may have been otherwise, but knowing I was modeling that that's actually okay, both to myself and to other people whose vision of what something is supposed to look like may not go that way. And how that doesn't have to mean that, again, that anything's gone wrong or that there's a failure happening, but actually that means that we're showing up for who and where we are in the moment whether that's a book launch or something else entirely, there's kind of a relief in just letting it be what it was. A quick word from this week's sponsor, Athletic Greens. I realized the other day that I've been taking AG1 every morning for well over a year now, and it has become a non-negotiable way that I look after myself and remind myself that I am worth looking after If I want to be the best mother I can be and just the best woman I can be, then I can only do that by looking after my health and my energy. So AG1 from Athletic Greens is a special blend of ingredients that supports your gut health, your nervous system, your immune system, your energy, recovery focus, and even aging basically all the things. And even better, it's all from one scoop. So no need for lots of different pills and supplements to look after your health. Athletic Greens has over 7,000 five-star reviews and I can see why. It is amazing and it even tastes nice too. So to make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com slash motherkind. Again, that is athleticgreens.com slash motherkind to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. As you were speaking, I was thinking it's a mindset, isn't it? Because I think when I get stuck in scarcity mindset, and I think that ties into the freaking out when one of the girls is ill, because it's like, I'm only going to get this chance on this week, on this day. And if I can't do it, it's going to be gone. (laughs) And I know that's not the reality, but that is where my thinking goes, like that fear-based thinking. And what I'm really hearing in you and what triggered it is when you said the season I'm in right now, because what I heard you say that you didn't say is there'll be other books, there'll be other launches, there'll be other chances. But for right now, I can hear the acceptance and I'm sure it wasn't easy, those no's, but you make it sound easy. just by accepting the season that you're in. And it's not easy, but I think that's where the practice is, is like, this is hard and I can be honest with myself about the disappointment or the grief or the letdown feeling that I or other people may have around this. And this is what the reality is. So can I hold both of those things at the same time? And I think that's where the practice is. And that's where 
remembering that it is an ongoing practice and it doesn't have to feel easy in order for it to be something we're practicing, which also means we don't have to practice it perfectly. You know, there were plenty of days where I felt like I was letting everybody down and like I was failing and like I wasn't doing the book justice. And I, yeah, like I was blowing my chances or whatever thoughts came up. There were plenty of times where those things came up and I had to just notice this fear is coming up. This scarcity is coming up. This feeling is coming up. And like, what do I need right now? Oh yeah. I need to remember why I had to make these decisions. I need to remember that I'm doing what I can. I need to remember that this is the season I'm in. So it's like this constant dance of like forgetting and remembering and forgetting to do the practices that we need to come back to what's true and then remembering to do them again, which again is not something that we ever have to do perfectly for it to be meaningful and for it to be something we can show up to. And did any part of you feel resentment? Because in a way it's a gendered, well, it's a prime, it's not necessarily gender, but it's a primary caregivers. Because I imagine had your partner had a book out three months past, and that would have been a different set of choices. Did that tension come up for you? I don't think it did because I have a partner who is so willing to acknowledge that and so willing to engage in those conversations and so willing to name the disparity in expectations and in what's allowed and what's not and in what's expected and what's not based on who the primary caregiver is. I think if I had a partner who was not aware and who was not privy to how inequity can really determine what someone's able to do or not in parenting, there would have been a lot more resentment, I imagine. But because I am luckily partnered with someone who is like very conscious and aware of those things and very willing to name and hold space for them and talk about them and sacrifice whatever he can in order for me to show up for what I want to do. There wasn't a lot of resentment, but I know that that does come up for so many people who maybe don't have partners who fully understand the sacrifices that they have to make and who don't understand that the unspoken rules and expectations that are given to us often have one of us taking on a lot more that the other person may not even realize we're taking on because it's just sort of an expectation. And I know that that comes up so often with having to make those decisions. Yeah, you're so right. And it's really interesting what you're saying that almost having that space held for it reduced the resentment. Because I think you're right, where the resentment is often so high is when there's no acknowledgement of what's going on. Yeah, there were times where I felt like I wish that I was the one who could just work for eight hours and not have to do anything else and not work. Like, I wish that I had that much time. And instead of feeling resentful or feeling judged or critical or defensive around that, my partner would just say, like, I know the circumstances are really hard and it feels really unfair sometimes. And he was also just willing to readjust his schedule in any ways possible for me to show up for what I'm doing too. So it's like my circumstances made that resentment very, very low. Not everyone has that. So I completely understand when the resentment is there. And I think it's very valid. Did you experience that sort of middle of the night feeling of, because I know for me, that was one of the most lonely times when I was nursing in the middle of the night and my partner was soundly <laughs> slept next to me. And I did experience, I know this is really common, like a 
yeah, rage would be the word that I would put to it. Did you experience that loneliness? And what did you do with that? I think that might've been like some of the most lonely times that I've ever had is those 2 a.m. feeding a baby. No one else knows that I'm doing it. Everyone else seems asleep. It seems like you're just alone in this tiny bubble and the whole world is going on without you. And you don't know when you're going to sleep again. That loneliness felt so almost like existential. It was almost like it's the kind of loneliness that feels like it's just a permanent state of life when you're in it. It feels like it's just who you are now. And that's just how life is now. And it's so hard to see outside of it. I just remember like the mornings would come and I would get coffee brought to me and feel like, okay, now I'm having my coffee and the day is starting again. And I'm, I am still just a person, but when you are in like the literal darkness of being alone in the room, tending to this being that no one else is witnessing and that you're not being seen in. It's like, I almost feel this sense of like empty shell feeling, even just thinking about those times. Luckily, again, like I'm incredibly lucky to have a supportive partner because he was up with me almost every time I was up in the middle of the night. He just happened to wake up and didn't want to go to sleep until everything was taken care of which I feel so grateful for. And I felt deeply supported in the moments where I was seen in that loneliness, which I know a lot of people don't have. I really feel deeply for, for all the people who are still very stuck in the traditional gender roles and the traditional ways of the mother doing most of the work and the father just helping in terms of like traditional relationships. I really feel for how much progress is needed in order to limit that as much as possible. If you had a client who came to you in that exact situation and she said to you, I'm full of resentment, I'm full of anger, you know, I'm doing most of the invisible load, most of the domestic load, most of the emotional load. I love my partner. I don't want to leave him, but I need to do something this resentment. What would you do with that as a therapist? First, I would say communicating that with our partners is incredibly important. And it's something I have to practice ongoing. When my husband goes to work, I still sometimes will find myself saying like, I resent that you get to go to work all day today. And I'm still here doing this monotonous routine that I've been doing. And I think there has to be a real sense of open communication around all of these things. Because often, unfortunately, because of the way we've all been conditioned and programmed, many times the person who is being resented doesn't really know that there are things that they could be doing to be more supportive or helpful. And they're not disengaging because they want to and they don't want to be helpful. It's often because they don't even have the awareness, again, because of the conditioning we've all received around how much they're not doing, even if they may not know it. So I think there has to be open communication around what needs are not getting met, around what roles are being taken or not taken that is causing one person to hold way more than the other person. And depending on what your communication skills are, often that happens through another professional, like through a therapist. I highly recommend couples therapy, especially for parents early on, because it can provide sort of a neutral space to talk about 
what's working and not working without doing the blame and guilt and shame game that often allows us to not be able to hear each other. But I think if those things are not all entirely out on the table, there's no place for them to change. So being willing to share what isn't happening that you need to happen or that you want to happen. And if the partner's not willing to then meet you there, that's a whole other issue that I think, again, requires support and requires guidance and hopefully therapy around just because there are often individual issues coming up in relationships that just get amplified during moments like that. But I think communication is the biggest piece, even being willing to name that you feel like you're taking on a lot more and like what small shifts could be possible can create space for things to change. But until what's real and true is not said and shared and known by everyone involved, there isn't a lot of room for things to shift and change. So I think finding the willingness to be honest is the most important piece. From there, it's really dependent on what comes up in the individual relationship. You're so right. And I loved how you said, dependent on your communication skills, because I think it's hard, isn't it, that we get confronted with all of this while we're sometimes resentful, angry, sleep deprived. It's so hard. To be able to regulate ourselves well enough. I've done tons of episodes on this because I think it's such a skills gap for me, still is, as you so humbly shared as well. You know, it's an ongoing practice, but I think there just needs to be much more recognition at how hard that is to do, to be able to regulate yourself enough to have that conversation. And I get why so many mothers don't have the conversation, right? Because it's hard and I think there's that sense of if I put this on the table and then it doesn't change, like you said, you're getting into really tricky territory then, aren't you? In a way, the denial or the keeping it to ourselves, but feeling resentment, it's not truer, but it's safer on some level. Yeah. It eliminates the possibility for your needs not getting met after being spoken, which feels a lot harder than not being met because they're not known. And I think there's a huge vulnerability to being willing to name what you need when there is no guaranteed outcome that those needs will then be met. Another thing that I think is so important here is trying to do a lot of this work and have a lot of these conversations before you get into that initial postpartum stage, when you don't have as much capacity to show up in conversation in the way that you may want to. I think anytime we can create shared agreements and understandings and shared recognition of what our partners need before it gets to the point of depletion and exhaustion and overwhelm and being physically dysregulated, like before it gets to the point of chaos, we do ourselves such a service by showing up for those conversations in a way that's preventative rather than a way that's reactive to something not going well. In the UK and antenatal education, most people will do some sort of pre-course, but none of this is ever mentioned. Certainly not any that I know. And it just feels like such an important, important, important thing. I wish I'd known. I really do how it would feel. I really do. And I think it's, again, one of those things that even when you have a lot of tools and skills and capacities those things change a lot when you're taking care of a newborn. 
So even as a therapist who has all of these tools and all this knowledge, I still needed support around how to have those conversations sometimes, not because I don't have the skills, but because knowing something is not always the same as applying it and applying something when we're in a new experience, feeling depleted and exhausted is not going to be the same as applying it while we are like having our regular couples check in without a kid before all of this happens. I think there also just has to be a lot of like self-forgiveness and compassion and understanding of why these things feel so hard and a lot of willingness to start over again, willingness to pump the brakes when something's not going well and say like, let's actually just take a second and like regroup here so that we can both get what we need. The willingness to have compassion for how hard these things are is I think such a huge piece of moving through them in the most grounded way that we can, given the circumstances. That's really what I've taken from this whole conversation is two words, acceptance and compassion. I think they're really, really, really important, aren't they, as we move through this season? And it's more than a season because hopefully it will be a lifetime of mothering. And I always ask the same question at the end which is if you could give just one gift to all the mothers in the world, what would that one gift be and why? I think it would be self-compassion because I think mothers are so hard on ourselves. I just remember so many moments of feeling like I was failing and like I was doing it all wrong and everyone else had somehow figured out something that I hadn't figured out yet and just feeling so depleted. And I know that what I needed most in those moments was my own compassion, my own kindness, my own ability to see my humanity and say, you're doing the best you can. And it's okay that it's messy and it's okay that it's hard. And it's okay that the grief is coming up and that you're exhausted and that part of you misses your old life. All of those things are okay. And they don't mean that something's wrong with you. I think being able to give every mother that voice within themselves would be such a gift that I imagine everyone needs. I agree. Oh, it's been beautiful. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. It's been such an honor to get to talk with you. So that was the episode. I hope you really enjoyed it. Please do share it. Please do review it. It makes a massive difference. And if you loved that episode, particularly thinking about letting go of control and asking for more help, I think you would also love the episode we recorded with Laura Brand, which was all about how she learned to go from controlling and micromanaging every area of her life and her family's life to being able to let go a little bit more and the massive benefits that brought her. So just search Laura Brand Motherkind in Google or wherever you get your podcasts. I think you would love that one too. See you next time. Hi, I'm Lauren. And I'm Nicole. And if you enjoy this show, you will love our podcast, Self Care Club. Every week, we trial a different form of self care and report back on the results. We've tried everything from cuddle therapy, setting boundaries, laughter yoga, and many more. Two friends who rarely agree on anything, testing out the world of self care so you don't have to. We've even written a book dedicated to self care practices that cost you nothing. You can listen to Self Care Club wherever you get your podcasts. Or to purchase our book, search Have You Tried This on Amazon.